if you're if you're new to Hope, then um, today I've been referring to everyone as pastor and then their name. That's because we believe in every member ministry. So we're all pastors. You're all pastors. So this is Pastor Charlie, who's going to be teaching us, and uh, I'm going to pray for him, and then he's going to he's going to he's going to teach. So should we pray? Yeah. yeah. Let's pray for Charlie. Father, thank you for Charlie. Thank you for the words and wisdom that you've put in his heart. We pray that. Our eyes will be opened to the words of Scripture that he speaks from, that our hearts will be ready to be planted into by the kingdom of God, shared through the words and wisdom of this man. We come under his wisdom today. We receive it. We submit to it. We say, Father, come and speak, come and minister, come and move. Amen. Charlie, over to you. Thank you. Um, good morning, everyone. My name's Charlie. I kind of actually am a pastor in the official sense, even. I'm the pastor of youth here at um, Hope, and I get to speak to you grown-ups this morning, which is, um, yeah, I'd rather not be, I'll be honest. No, I am really excited to do it, really excited to do it. I put my preaching shorts on, and um, yeah, thank you ever so much for having me. We're in the third of a, a three-part series called uh, The Elimination of Worry, which I think John Mark Comer later stole from us to turn into a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. But, um, yeah, just talking about uh, about worry and, and the spiritual impact of worry, how we can get to the heart of that. Um, <clears throat> this morning, I, I, I think we've already been ministered to by our young people so beautifully that probably, and I really mean that, that's not a self-deprecating thing. I think anything I could say would probably just be uh, additives rather than the, the main meal. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and keep this really simple, but um, to begin with, I want to read the words of Jesus to you today. We're going to read them through twice. So if you find Matthew chapter 6 in the Bibles on your tables, that would be a great place to start. I, my prayer really has been that the words of Jesus would speak to you this morning from the Sermon on the Mount, right into your heart. Um, and then I'll add my words to that. And once again, they will be lesser. So, Matthew chapter 6. I'll read it in two versions, because I'm speaking from this version, and then, and then we'll read it in the, the version that's on the tables in front of you. So, Matthew chapter 6, uh, starting at verse 25. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday, everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. 
Today's trouble is enough for today. <clears throat> we'll do a little lectio here. I think I'm going to read it in another version, and we'll just try and meditate on it. Um, so just try and tune in, try and listen to the voice of Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon, in all his splendor, was not dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. Um, sometimes when I read the Gospels, I worry a little bit about Jesus. Um, I think, you know, maybe he's going to get himself into trouble with some of the things that he says. Maybe it's not going to end all that well for him. Uh, and I, I, I think where, we're, where we are, the reality of what Jesus is saying in this passage is he is looking people in the eye who are in abject poverty, uh, on the breadline, as it were, and he is saying to them, why are you so worried about clothes and food? Why are you so worried about money? Why are you so worried about your security? And it's gutsy, isn't it? Like, it's, you know, to, to stand before people like that is, is bold, it's potentially confrontational, um, uh, it's a very assertive leadership style, I would say. Um, to look at people living hand to mouth and say, why do you worry about your life? Why do you worry about what you wear? <clears throat> I think it's an interesting one, isn't it? It's not, um, it's not from the pastoral ministry handbook. Probably, Annie, it's not what they're teaching you at counselling and your module's there. If someone is worried, tell them to stop worrying probably not the best of strategies. Um, but something that I'm really interested in is right, right now, Sunday 10th of July, as we read those words and we meditate upon them, when Jesus says, do not worry, how do you hear that? How do you hear that? Do you hear it as an invitation to freedom or do you hear it as condemnation? And I think that it's always worth noticing and stopping and pausing and digging deeper when the words of Jesus feel to us to be impossible or inaccessible, when it feels like he's inviting us to a lifestyle um, or, or something that feels kind of behaviorally impossible, like we couldn't do it. I think that's a really important thing to dig into. I believe this is a very blunt passage, and probably there would have been plenty of muttering uh, from the people around Jesus uh, as he stands there on the mount, preaching this sermon, telling people on the breadline not to worry. Uh, 
But despite its bluntness, I think nonetheless it's one of his great love letters to us. It's obviously not written as a letter, but it's a metaphor. It's a, it is dripping, I believe, with the love of God, these words, this passage. I was talking to Bill um, Druitt last week, and he preached a few months ago on the woman at the well. Uh, and he was saying that one of the odd things about preaching that passage is that while we sort of venerate it as this amazing passage where we get to have an insight into the way that Jesus treated women in a patriarchal society and all that kind of stuff, which is ultimately true, it's actually in black and white on the page. It's a hard passage, the woman at the well, to preach, because what Jesus does is he he says two theological statements that the woman doesn't understand, and between those two quite obtuse, quite difficult statements, he says, oh, and you've got five husbands, and you're having another affair. And he says something, again, something that we wouldn't teach in a counselling course, something incredibly blunt, quite confrontational. And to read that story, the woman at the well, correctly, something that we were talking about this week, Bill and I, to read that story correctly, I think we have to assume that by his manner and his personality and the one that she was in the presence of, she encountered something that isn't quite on the page. In encountering his manner and his dealings with her, she felt totally safe in his authority. There was total safety in Jesus' authority, in his confrontationalness. And if we didn't know him, coming to the Sermon on the Mount, not just that passage that we've read, some of these instructions that we receive can Jesus can or could sound like condemnation, and it kind of sounds impossible if we didn't have the whole testimony of his ministry, which is of love, if we didn't have his words, his actions, his beauty coming off the page, if we didn't have the Holy Spirit actually bringing that alive in us, this would just feel impossible. Do not worry. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I'm full of it. My body is vibrating with worry on a weekly basis. And we could probably then just file it, if that was the case, if we didn't know him and we didn't know his manner, the total safety of his authority, we could probably file it under a very long list of Christian discipleship principles which weigh us down and condemn us. We would then have to add it to the list that we, we have to now become a less worried person as well as becoming a more patient person, a more kind person, a more generous person, and all of those other things that we could internalize by reading Scripture if we didn't know the total safety of his authority, his actual presence. So Jesus says to these deeply vulnerable, I would say stricken human beings on the mountain, do not worry about your life and your clothes and your food, etc. Now, I think there is a clue in the previous verse, which we didn't read, but we will now, about why Jesus is so uncompromising about the roots of our worries. <clears throat> and so it's in verse 24. My version says, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then he goes on to say, therefore, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. Now, when I was growing up in my home church, very solid Bible teaching sort of church, when I was a kid, we were taught how to study the scriptures. And we would always say, what's the therefore, therefore? Anyone ever heard that one? 
what's the therefore, therefore? So wherever we see a therefore, like in verse 25, therefore do not worry about your life. What does it say in your version? Therefore. Nice. Perfect. We have to ask ourselves, what's the therefore, therefore? And so um, Jesus is saying, you cannot serve both God and money, therefore do not worry. You cannot serve both God and money, Therefore, let me liberate you of that. Therefore, do not worry. He's inviting them to see if you have something in your life that is your master, that isn't God, if you have something, frankly, cack as your master, the result will always be worry. Right? So money is his working example. He says, if money is your, your master, then you will worry. Because we all know that having money as your master is a rubbish time. That is rubbish. Worry is a symptom of serving a master that is less than perfectly secure, less than perfectly good, less than perfectly forgiving when we screw up. That isn't money. Money is, there's never enough. There is never enough. For these people, there definitely wasn't enough in a very material sense. But just in general, spoiler alert, there's never enough. There are many, many other masters, aren't there, that we, you, know, you could put into that bracket. That's Jesus' example. But um, there are many other things, um, you know, status and, and uh, what other people think of us and all kinds of stuff that we haven't got time to plow into now. But the inevitable outcome of serving a master who is less than the best is worry. And if, as we've been reading the Scriptures today the words of Jesus have sounded like condemnation to you, like another thing to be more holy at, then I think that's an excellent, excellent thing to realize. I just think that's a wonderful thing to realize in in your own heart and mind and spirit. And I think you should listen to that voice uh, to a point and pay attention to why that's happening. Because Jesus says it's because you're serving a master that isn't good. Because you're serving a master that doesn't love you back. And I think that worry is a phenomenal gateway, a gateway drug, maybe you might like to say, to an experience of, of Jesus. Because these things that, you know, these uh, emotional responses, these are, are, are very worst behaviors and the things that we most wish we could just delete from our personalities and lives altogether are actually excellent opportunities for us to be ministered to by the safe authority of Jesus. There's always an invitation to freedom in what he teaches and demonstrates. Always. He, he, he is never going to stand there and be in condemnation over you and your fear and your worry. I think he wants better for you than that. But it's not, it's not a condemnation thing, even if it's a conviction. <clears throat> so by and large, if we read something like, do not worry... And we do hear condemnation. That is probably either one of two things. It's either our own self-condemnation or it's a voice of someone else. Maybe from your past, maybe from the enemy. These are things that we work through in our course that we run here as a church called Living Free, which uh, if, if you've not done it, if you missed it back in September, when was that? What month is it now? May. <laughs> it wasn't even that long ago. Um, then we would just really encourage you to make that something you take advantage of the next time it comes around. Um, and if you've got any questions about that, we'd love to answer them. 
I think in its, in its nature, this is an opinion, just something that I was thinking about and praying about this week. I think that worry often is itself actually rooted in self-condemnation. It, it is in some way sort of the overflow of shame. And, or, or that's my experience of it. Um, I think that we get feelings of worry when something is out of our control, but w- w- something that really matters to us. So we can't, uh, we can't control the outcome, but the outcome really matters to us, and it makes us feel inadequate. We sort of reach the end of our resources and our talents and our gifts, and we go, I, just, I can't control the outcome here. And it makes us feel inadequate. We reach our limits. And it can feel, to me, like my brain is attacking itself. There are these negative ruminations. It starts with worry about how people will perceive me when I stand and preach in church, because I don't do it very much. And I'm up in the prayer room pastoring some of your children all the time. And now I've got to, you've got to sort of see what I have to say about the scriptures and life. It starts with a worry as simple as that. And then it ends up just kind of totally scrambling my identity and scrambling my own view of myself and God's view of me. So um, I wanted to just mention at this point, I think it's really important to take time and reflect on the source of our worries. Uh, and we already, I don't need to go any further because the kids have already said it. Um, I, can't, I was in the next room, so I only heard it. But someone was saying that um, you need to be out. It was Isaac Brind. We need to be out in nature. I've got this exact point, and it's the exact point that Jesus makes. Like we, we, we need to be taking time in our week where we have disconnection from just the, the scrambled signals of life so that we can be with God and we can reflect on these things. It's an amazing worry. It's an amazing gateway to encounter with Christ. Our, our, our worst, in inverted commas, behaviors, the things about ourselves we would most like to delete are incredible opportunities to encounter the ministry of Christ. A few years ago, just thinking through this this idea that, that sometimes worry comes from us and our circumstances and our limitations, and sometimes it comes externally. A, a few years ago, like a very few years ago, probably two years ago, I had this realization that much of my personal worry and anxiety uh, was not coming from my circumstances, but was actually a learned behavior. Um, so, so without sort of going too much into... The, the guts of it, I grew up in a home in which one of my parents experienced a lot of worry and no condemnation. They experienced a lot of worry, a lot of negative thoughts and rumination. And this, I believe, they learned in turn from the previous generation of our family. And it's very possible that the chain goes on even further. And so I have become better at noticing when those anxious flies which buzz around in my brain are based on my own circumstances and when they're simply just the product of a childhood in which I I learned to react to problems with fear and with stress. And knowing this information is really empowering because when now when I experience that rising stress in in my body, I'm better able to say no. And again, it's that living free principle, those of you who've done it, of in Jesus' name, rebuking the voices... That, that shape our view of the world and ourselves. 
I cannot serve the values, going back to this idea of serving two masters, I can't serve the values that I was demonstrated and shown as a child and also serve God. Because God's values aren't like that. God doesn't blow up in stress and anxiety and shouting, risk-averse behaviours every single time something goes wrong. We're about to do, over the summer holidays, an all-age series on the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, patience, kindness, all of those. And that is the character of God. That's who he is. And I think that's something of what the women at the well, the women at the well and the people who are listening to him on the mount, that is what they are perceiving in Jesus as he's preaching. So what could read very blunt on the page in black and white if you read it with angry eyebrows, actually that's almost certainly not their experience of Jesus. This is the God that we're called to be mastered by, right? It's a good, it's a good thing to be under his lordship, his mastery, because the alternative is absolutely rubbish. <clears throat> so these are the things I think that we need to take advantage of to uh, address in ourselves, to have a real good look at and a reflect upon at this church. We would massively recommend therapeutic support if that's something that you um, think that you need. We would gladly uh, help you in that process if you, if you would like to find a trustworthy um, professional um, but quite simply, one way or t'other, many of us just need to take the time in our week to consider our behaviours, our reactions to the things that we experience, and to unravel some of these strands, unravel some of the, the voices that we're listening to. So we need a proper Sabbath. Amen? <clears throat> For others of us, you know, worry is very much not a learned behaviour. It's very much rooted in circumstance. It's a product of some kind of lack in life. Uh, so for Jesus' audience, that's poverty, it's hunger, it's disease. Um, inflation, I guarantee, much more than 9%. They lived in an agrarian economy. Every year, if the crops failed, there was famine. But for you, it could be any number of things. It could be trauma, it could be relationship issues in your background or in your homes, financial insecurity or debt. And, you know, I, I'm not going to try and guess anymore, but... Jesus doesn't normally do, like, top tips. He doesn't normally do, like, a top five things that you can be doing today to be a better follower of me. But if he did, if there's one practical step in this passage, I would suggest it's probably in verse uh, 26. Look at the birds of the air, or... As my version I grew up with put it, consider the birds of the air. And I really love that word, consider. Um, It's more than just look at. It's more than just be aware of. But it is reflect upon the birds of the air. Meditate upon them. Understand them. Watch and deeply reflect upon this truth that they reveal. Uh, So it says, consider or look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns which is this metaphor that Jesus uses, not because he's anti-farming, but because it's a metaphor for this striving of of humanity, these things that we do to increase what we perceive as our significance. They do not sow, they do not reap, they do not store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Um... 
I think one, I was with Ruby next door, but I think one of the kids talked about, I, I forgot what they said exactly, but, but I, yeah, it was Isaac, wasn't it? We need to get out, get out into the countryside, go for a walk with God. And I, I, I grew up in the countryside. I'm from a farming family. I miss the countryside so much because it's a, it's a front seat to observe this sort of self-perpetuating abundance of nature, an ecosystem which feeds and replenishes itself and, in my opinion, is absolutely designed to do so. Nature is content. As long as it's uninterrupted by humans, by and large, nature is content. So the, the blackbird does not wake up in the morning and is not filled with thoughts of becoming a better blackbird or wanting to be more like a, a peacock or something like that. The blackbird wakes in the morning. She flies. She builds her nest. She feeds her young. She drinks. She eats. She has community of a sort, and then she rests. There's no such thing in blackbird's mind as like the middle-class dream. It doesn't exist in nature. It only exists in us because of our shame. That striving to be more significant, more accomplished, more powerful than we are right now only exists in us and in our minds because it's only humans that create these masters that aren't God. It's only us that go after things which are just so outside of our original design and our nature that it breaks our brains, makes us anxious and sad and lonely. These are unnatural gods, and we pursue them, and it's breaking our hearts because they always let us down. The example Jesus uses is money. Earlier on, I said that this passage is, to me, like this incredible love letter. It is dripping with the presence of God, like it is dripping with the, the safe authority of Jesus. And although, you know, as we've said, on first reading it can seem harsh to be telling people in abject poverty they need to stop worrying, the invitation to consider the birds, the invitation uh, uh, to, to look at the lilies of the field and to know that when we look at them we see their beauty, God finds us so much more beautiful. Jesus says, are you, are you not much more valuable than they? Almost like, come on. Come on, are you not much more valuable than they? And I love that rhetorical question because I think that there are lots and lots of people about who um, love running up to people and shaking them and saying they need to follow God and all that sort of thing. Um, which is true. But Jesus, in his wisdom and in his gentleness, just asks the question, are you not much more valuable than the birds who are cared for? And he leaves us to answer the question internally. Okay, do I believe that? Do I believe that I am valued by my father in this way and that he will care for me? Silas, was praying in the prayer time that we had before most of you guys arrived. And he said during his prayer, like the number of times that he and Annie have looked at the bank account and been like, oh, this doesn't look great. And yet God has provided. Man, we just, 
there's no point even singling out Silas. We all have those testimonies, those of us who have been following Jesus for more than two days. He cares and he provides. He cares and he provides, doesn't he? And yet we still slip back under that old master, those old voices that want us to believe that they're better and that they'll answer the problems that we have. So do we trust his goodness and provision? Or are we going to persist with the old masters? And Jesus, I, quite often with the youth, um, Jesus kind of finishes with, with a dare. And quite often I use the language of dare with the youth. Like I dare them, for example, uh, to say we've just done a session on prayer or something, I dare them to go away and pray every day for a week that God would fill them with his Holy Spirit and that they would see him moving in their life. Because I think it's not, it's not a bad word to use for what Jesus is offering. Always, you know, like with the parable of um, the two builders, one on the sand and one on the rock, he's like, I dare you to go all in, build your life on me and see what happens. Because I promise you I'll be firm. I promise you I'll be your rock. And I promise you the sand is worse. And so he finishes with this, this dare in verse 33 and 34. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things, the provision of your physical needs and so on, will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself, whatever that means. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So just like the woman at the well, if we listen to his words, but not just his words, but his voice, his presence... And if we, you know, as uncompromising as they are, I I believe that we will find total safety in his authority over us. I believe that we will find that he is a king who reigns over a kingdom of peace and stability. And that under that master, worry will be, Andrew, eliminated. Correct? I believe if we set aside time to Sabbath, to rest in him, to encounter him, we can live in that land, live in that kingdom, that that's our reality. Um, There's a guy, um, a theologian, who writes a lot about the Beatitudes, which I'm trying to do a video series on for the kids. Um, I've said it now. I've said it publicly, so I've got to deliver. Um, There's a theologian, he writes about the Beatitudes, called Mark Scandrett, and his definition of the kingdom of God I love. He says the kingdom of God is... Reality as God sees it. Reality as God sees it. So consider, I dare you, this week, consider the reality of the birds and the lilies. Are you not more valuable than they? Are you not more beautiful than the, the most beautiful things of nature to your father than they are? That's it, really. I think that um, I, I, th- I think that it's been it's been a really special week um, for us. We've had a uh, sort of a, we've had a prayer room in our basement over at Chapel House uh, at two six four. You can come to the church meeting later and hear a bit more of an update on what's going on there. But if you're ever feeling spiritually jaded, I would really recommend that you open a prayer room in your house um, and just have people come and pray and worship and share stories. Uh, And it has felt like living in that land, living in that kingdom, 
seeking first the kingdom of God, being around other people who are doing the same thing. And when, when you are under that safe authority of Jesus, it is true that I'm less adrenalized than I was two weeks ago. I'm less a quiver. I am more safe in my identity of who I am. I'm more able to stand and speak in front of you as exposing as it is, as odd as the role of youth pastor is within a church community. Uh, I'm more able to do it, more, um, dare I say, nakedly, than have we not had this prayer room in our house this week where a bunch of you have come and, and we've worshipped together. So why don't we pray? Are you coming up after this? Excellent. All right, let's pray. And then Andrew's got some things. Um, I'm just thinking about the words to that song, my Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. And it's not um, always really obvious from the words on the page, but we thank you that it's not just about the, the words of Scripture, but it's about the Holy Spirit coming and making you alive and showing us um, that these words are words to live by, words to trust, words to build a, a house upon, a life upon. So, Jesus, draw near to us. Thank you that you're worthy of our worship, that we're safe under your authority, your lordship. And I pray that we would we would take time to reflect upon the voices of masters that are not you and to allow you to eliminate them in the presence of your peace, your love. We trust your voice. Amen. Cowabunga. Thank you, Charlie. I was listening next door while doing Zoe's lunch and thinking, this boy is preaching today. This boy, he was preaching today, wasn't he? Yeah, brother. And uh, we, we, really honor, we really honor your ability to speak truthfully and powerfully. And uh, we, re- we sit under that and we receive that. And um, I've often said about Charlie that he's, he's so bluntly sharp. You know, he's got that ability to just, here's the truth, you know, and... Uh, but you can tell it's it's it's, uh, it's it, it, that 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 knife of truth is held held in the hand of love when it's delivered, and he and and he's got so much love that he can't be anything but 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 blunt. You know what I mean? Because he's just got to say it as it is to us, and uh, we really we really respect that and really are thankful for that. So t- you know, today I think there's been a lot of uh, God's wisdom and lots of different people shared with us, and and the worst thing to do would be to walk out of the the room with an awareness of the wealth without putting anything in your pocket to take home. You know what I mean? It's, it's sort of like walking into a, a museum where you're allowed to take one artifact home, but you forget to take anything home because there were just so many nice things. We've got to take something, put it in our pocket and go, this is what I'm taking. I'm taking this thing home, this thing that was shared. This is a thing that's planted in me. I'm taking it home to steward. So we're just going to have a minute of silence where you just reflect on everything that's been shared today, the wealth of the room, and go, Lord, what's the thing that I'm going to put in my pocket and take home? So, Father, would you remind us of all the different things that have um, stood out to us, but, but highlight one thing to put in our pocket, to take home with us, to plant, to grow, to watch, watch it flourish. Come and speak, Lord. Give us that one thing.
Okay, well, that's the end of our, our, our time.